Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Robot Nation podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to advanced manufacturing, capital equipment, and the robotics and automation industry. We'll be covering trends and topics important to factory automation and robotics, and we'll interview guests in our series of podcasts. We know that manufacturing is great. It brings all kinds of jobs into your community, and if you're good at it, you will have a job for life. My name is Jim Beretta, and I am your host today. I am also president of Customer Attraction Industrial Marketing based out of Cambridge, Ontario. If you like this podcast, please rate us wherever you find your podcast, but more importantly, tell your friends about it. Send them an email, tweet us, and hashtag RobotNationPodcast. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, our email address is RobotNationPodcast at gmail.com. And I'd like to thank and acknowledge our sponsor today, that is A3, the Association for Advancing Automation. It's the Umbrella Association for the RIA, AIA, MCMA, and A3 Mexico. These four associations combined represent almost 1,300 automation manufacturers, component suppliers, systems integrators, end users, research groups, and consulting firms throughout the world that are driving automation forward. And I'd like to introduce our guest today, Peter Wright, who's president of the planning group. Peter Wright's a career business planning strategist and president of the planning group based out of Cambridge, Ontario. Peter has successfully developed and executed association and nonprofit strategies with remarkable results. His practical approach to strategic and operational business planning ensures that plans are not only embraced by management and boards, but also effectively implemented and measured for the tangible benefit of association members. So I have a disclosure that Peter and I have worked together on many projects, and one of our first was in my previous life when I was working for a large automation engineering company that engaged him to create a strategy for a new division. In our podcast today, we'll talk about a business and strategy planning during COVID-19, but I'd first like to get Peter to give us a bit of background. Peter, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jim, and thanks for having me. Uh, and I guess a small disclosure too, that I also have A3 as a client, so it's a small world and it's a great organization to work with. We're a, a, I would say a boutique management consulting firm. We work with mid-sized corporations, so the 100 million to a billion range and large associations and not-for-profits. And our focus is really on burning past the, where do we wanna be in five years and what do we wanna be when we grow up and really focus on much more pra pragmatic and practical approach to planning. Uh, very specifically, what does the future look like for us and what steps do we actually need to take to get there? Yeah, so over the last 18 years doing this, we've done a heck of a lot of scenario analysis, a heck of a lot of business continuity planning, <clears throat> and it's very rare when we actually hit the period where we're helping our clients do business continuity execution, which is really what we've been doing for the last couple months. Peter, this is a truly unprecedented time for business, and surely your clients are facing challenges like you may have never seen. Generally, how is this affecting their planning process? Well, at the moment, it's pretty much it's pretty much meant that all my clients have stopped their traditional planning. So all the big strategy sessions, all the all the board strategy, uh, all the main long-term looking forward strategy has been postponed to focus on this very operational planning that's going on right now and all the planning to do with the scenarios related to COVID-19. So we'll talk about this as we go, but for the companies who have been generally better planners in the past, they're getting through this much more easily. Uh, but in terms of what it's done to their planning process, it's made them fall back on hopefully what they're good at, but generally it's made them postpone their ongoing regular planning efforts just to get through this crisis. 
Thanks for that. Um, no one could have seen this anything like this coming. Did past planning equip organization to better handle the current crisis? And without knowing what the next crisis will be, can organizations really learn much to assist with future planning? Yeah, I guess the answer is no and yes. No, almost, I, I can't honestly think of a client who planned for what's happening right now. You can't plan for every eventuality. And if you, if you try to, it's really more busy work than the hard work. There's maybe a few exceptions organizations that are involved in, let's say, banking transactions that I have as a client, they try to plan for everything. And I think that's fair because they need kind of zero downtime and sometimes big chunks of the economy are depending on them. So that's the rare exception where companies and organizations have have done okay is where they focus their efforts in the past, their planning efforts, their strategy efforts on being better planners, being more ready doing scenario analysis, not knowing exactly what scenarios they're planning for. And so just to, for example, just to have taken boards through a, a board or a senior leadership team through an exercise to plan for uh, mergers and acquisition in their industry, you know, some consolidation in their industry, to plan for and talk about some kind of business continuity. Usually it's been cybersecurity, cyber attacks, uh, to plan for what happens if we have a big privacy breach it's more, it's less about the specific plans, having a plan for a pandemic. What happens if a pandemic happens and the government tells us that, you know, we can't have customers anymore. And it's much more about being good at having the conversations, being good at reacting to what actually really happens in the situation, being good at not freaking out when the time comes and being able to work through this together. And so, you know, I've hit my head against the wall a little bit over the years trying to convince customers to take more time to just be good at planning, to take more time to just work through actual role playing. What would a severe competitive response look like? And that's, and that's not out, out of the world that that would never happen. So if we did something and our competitor came back and really hit us with lower prices or some crazy new innovation, what would that look like? What would we do? How would we work through that? So although that's not related to a pandemic, it's those kinds of exercises that have really helped my clients today. Nobody really planned for what's happening today, but the ones who were good at and spent time at readiness, what I call strategy readiness, they're the ones who have really excelled during this period. Thanks, Peter. What priorities have surfaced that may not have existed before for companies who are experiencing business downturn with challenges like mass staff layoffs and imposed regulations? It was interesting because everybody seemed to have kind of gone through, maybe at their own pace, but gone through the three main phases. And the first phase was uh, in the emergency phase. Although people first thought about business, their immediate reaction was to stop back up and say, let's figure out safety first. You know, safety first, although it's a bit of a catchphrase in companies, when it actually came to this, I believe almost everybody said, what do we need to do to make sure our employees are safe? What do we need to do to make sure our customers are safe? What do we need to do to make sure that our assets are protected? And let's figure that piece out first. And so I, I think companies did that very well. Associations did that very well, and they did it very quickly. Then very quickly, they really said, uh-oh, this is really going to have a profound impact on our business. And so most of them are kind of through this emergency tactical planning phase and execution phase and some are still in it and that was really around the basics of our insurance coverages our contracts you know what does force majeure mean to us 
in the contracts we have with our vendors and what does it mean to them with the contracts they have with us you know and so we went through this period where depending on the sector it was really in okay what do we do now what's the immediate response can we get out of this contract for this event that we've got planned next month can they get out of this contract for the event they've got planned next month uh, and so that was kind of the second phase after the safety phase and the third phase although these didn't happen exactly in perfect phases the third phase that mostly everybody is in now and now rolling forward to what if this drags out uh, more and more is revenue preservation and expense containment so given the fact that this isn't going away in one day or one week or probably even one month what do we need to do to preserve revenues what do we need to do to contain expenses without hurting the first two things that the safety and and the basic tactics and so that that seems to be the phase that, that most companies and organizations are in right now those have become their priorities and and running business in an in a new and different way Thanks for that, Peter. I think it's a pretty good picture. And I too am very encouraged by the safety first kind of attitude for a lot of businesses. More specifically, what are some of the activities that companies would benefit from as they try to navigate this business turndown? Uh, I think right now, companies need to be looking at really doing serious discipline scenario planning. Every company is in a different place. Every association and not-for-profit is in a different place. And they really need to be thinking about as this rolls on, what are the scenarios that we're going to face? And so if you almost think about it, you know, as I've worked through it, I've fallen back on my own skill set. If you almost think about it as if we're planning like we normally would, except now we're planning in much shorter cycles. And now instead of saying as the starting point, what's happening in our operating environment with competitors and regulators and economy and politics, we're doing that, what's happening in our operating environment with all those things and this and this shutdown situation one month, two months, three months from now. And so basically, I think what most organizations should be doing right now is this very disciplined scenario planning where they're looking at scenarios as this crisis unfolds, as it drags out for each audience, each target audience, uh, the, the target audience, customer audience, et cetera, that they're actually planning for. And so this obviously depends greatly. This is where I'm spending almost all my effort right now with organizations. This depends greatly on the kind of organization that we're talking about. You know, but if you think about a university, universities right now, where we are in history, they're thinking about, are we going to have a September semester? Are we going to have a normal September semester? And most of them are already at the point where they're making an assumption where they're not going to have a normal September semester but we're going to have a nearly normal September semester. A lot of them are calling it. So we're going to have a September semester where we've still got face-to-face, but we've got social distancing going on on campus uh, where the biggest classes are going to be online, where the smaller classes are going to be in bigger lecture halls and people are spread out, where we're going to be spreading people out on campus. But right now we're assuming, uh, this is scenario, scenario two we're at now, we're assuming that we're going to have a nearly normal semester. What's scenario three? Well, scenario three is that we're actually not going to have a, a face-to-face September semester. We're going to have a January semester with a with a September start date online. And so, and then what's scenario first? Well, scenario four is we're not even going to have a January semester. We're going to have a, a September 2021 semester. And so they've got this planned out. And you can think about this in terms of companies too. They're doing the exact same thing. Associations are doing the exact same thing. They're planning out these scenarios as this situation unfolds. 
And as we get closer to the date, they're saying, yep, all those assumptions that told us we were going to have a September semester or we were going to have our fall conference or we were going to have this big product launch in the fall, all those assumptions are now incorrect. Let's move to the next scenario. And what do we do for each target audience? And for, you know, for our students, for our staff, for our customers, for our members, whatever it is, what do we do for each target audience? And so as we see us move from scenario one to two to three, what actions do we need to take to fall back to preserve revenue, contain expenses, build sustainability in our, in our organization long-term? So that's really where organizations should be spending their focus right now. And it's hard to do, Jim, because they're spending their focus right now acting very operationally. And so you can't blame them because there's, there's a crisis going on and they have to act operationally, but they also need to be unequivocally mapping out what's, what may happen next and having a plan B and a plan C and a plan D. No, those are some very good points, Peter. Thank you. For organizations with a business continuity plan, what should they be doing now? What additional steps should they be take as COVID-19 drags on? Yeah, the, for those who have a business continuity, continuity plan, almost all of them have found out that they didn't have that plan. Uh, right. You know, so they have they have a business continuity plan, for example, from 9-11, from cyber attacks, from privacy breaches. So the good news is, is that most of those things have prepared organizations to respond fairly appropriately right now. So although a, little, a lot of business continuity plans were focused on cyber attacks, well, the outcome the fact that we all have to work differently, we have to work from home, we have to get our networks back online, the outcome was more or less the same. Uh, the fact that we had to put restrictions in place, the outcome was more or less the same. And so those have really helped organizations today. Almost nobody planned, planned for a, a pandemic. It's certainly not, the, certainly not with the outcomes that we're seeing here, but most companies uh, are falling back on what they know. And so those companies really now should be getting into this rolling planning mode where they're always planning ahead for the next 90 days and the next 90 days and the next 90 days. And the other thing that companies should be engaged in right now is this much more disciplined communication. Companies have gotten better and better communications, uh, communicating over the last few years for sure. Associations, not for profits. This has become part of their lifeblood as things have happened. But through this period, it's become much more difficult because I guess if, I, if I've had one thing that surprised me out of all this, it's that organizations are struggling with how much to say to their customers, to their employees, to their stakeholders, to their shareholders. And it's been a very fine balance between organizations who aren't saying enough other than we have a plan and organizations who are saying too much about here's how bleak the future might look and putting too much risk on their organization and, and putting too much fear in the hearts of their stakeholders. And so in, in my mind, you should have a plan B, C, and D, and you should tell obviously your employees that you have those plans and even what those various scenarios are based on your assumptions, your customers, your students, your members, you should be telling them that you have a plan B, C, and D, but, you're, but if we're at B, you're only telling them about C. And so to go back to the university example, and I don't see a lot of universities doing this, but it's something we can all wrap our head around. To go back to the university example, we should be today, and if you think about this in the context of your own business, we should be today going out to our, our prospective students and our current students saying, 
we are going to have a September right now. We assume we're going to have a September semester right now. We assume it's going to look like this, but the next plan is if the September semester doesn't work out, here's the fallback position, the fallback position. I'm making this up, but all the, all courses will be online. We'll have a January semester. We'll waive deferrals on scholarships. We'll, you know, we'll allow you to easily move to January. We'll give we'll take away all kinds of risk for you, but we hope that doesn't come. But, if we just say we're going to have a September semester and we plan everything's more or less normal, most people are going to make their own plans and they're going to say, well, then I'm just, I'm just going to defer till January. I'm going to defer till 2021. Anyway, think about that in the context of your own customers. How much do you need to tell your own customers to give them faith that it's not under control, but you've got a plan and you're working the plan and you're acting in their best interest. So they'll continue to buy from you. Peter, this level and scope of disruption, I mean, we've never seen before, but in your planning with organizations, have were, was anything like this foreseen and in their business continuity and disaster recovery planning? No. I mean, the public health agencies that I work with have been working on pandemic planning, especially in Canada for since SARS, very actively and very aggressively. And I think those plans have helped considerably in terms of the government response and the public health response. But I, I don't want to speak on for any of my clients, but I don't think they even saw the economic disruption that was going to be associated with this. So I think they understood the, the hospital piece, the over, overwhelming emergency piece, what they needed to do to shut down uh, surgeries. I mean, all the things that seem that government seemed to have done a pretty good job at North America quite quickly, those were the things that were planned for. What the public health agencies didn't plan for, of course, is is the economic disruption of actually telling people to stay stay in place in their homes, not go to work, telling employers that they actually can't get people together. That social distancing philosophy has been around for a long time, but the theory of actually telling people to stay in their homes to prevent the spread of this, I don't think that almost any agency really was planning for this. So that's on the on the governmental side and I think you know they're working through it like everybody else on the company and association and not-for-profit side although you know let's start with charities although charities ha have done some of their own disaster planning I don't think any of them probably saw the impact on their revenues on the association side I think very few of them Jim saw that they were going to have to essentially take away the lifeblood of their organizations, which is face-to-face, -face, which which we can talk more about. But really what's prepared them, as I said a minute ago, is 9-11 certainly got companies going down the right track uh, in terms of this kind of scenario planning. But it's really been the cyber threats and the privacy breaches over the last two or three years. Cyber security has been just the hottest topic, you know, especially in 2019, 2018. Lots of companies are involved. Lots of companies are going beyond their IT departments to help train people what it means to them and how they should change their decision-making protocols when it comes to a cyber attack or a privacy breach. I see associations actually doing training sessions over the last two years to help professionals, whether they're governance professionals or lawyers or accountants, better understand these kinds of threats. That threat didn't happen, but that... but planning for and understanding and interpreting and understanding the implications uh, to prof professionals and organizations has helped tremendously through this time for sure. I can honestly say that if computer viruses were not a thing, you know, they never existed. I think 
as horrible as they are, I think we would be in a much different position right now because I don't think the level of planning would have been where it, where it's at right now. That's interesting that that you can compare it, but you exact, you're exactly right. Uh, Peter, I know you've got a lot of experience working with boards and board chairs. How do you see them being able to function in the emerging business landscape and what can they do to ensure they continue to be effective? Yeah, I think through, so first of all, they need to park something for the future and they need to say to themselves, when this is over, we're going to listen to the consultants who have come in over the last five years and told us we need to be more ready. We need to have these conversations. We need to improve our own uh, strategy skills, our own readiness skills, work through scenario analysis, even though it feels like an exercise. Now we know it's not. So I think they need to park that one and come back to it and not forget how bad this was. I think right now what boards need to be doing, number one, they need to be available. And I do see mostly that boards, board members are struggling with this because board members are being asked to be available uh, by the companies that they're directors for. But at the same time, they're usually fairly senior people in the companies that where they get their paycheck. Uh, and so there's been a real tug and pull, Jim, over the last two months as this, as this thing's rolled out where companies have had an expectation that board members will be very available for calls because companies are trying to make decisions that are so big and so profound under such a time constraint uh, that they actually need their boards present and informed and providing consent for the level of decision-making that's actually happening. So we need boards to be extremely available. We need boards to participate just in the big decisions. This is the absolute time when the boards who understood the, the, the proper division between board and management are doing much better than the boards who either were too hands-off or too hands-on. The boards that are too hands-on in, in an emergency are absolutely disastrous because the last thing that management teams right, need right now is board members breathing down their neck and getting involved in these fairly tactical minute by minute, no, no exaggeration, minute by minute and hour, hour by hour operational decisions. So number one, park the thing about we need to learn from this and, and come back to it. Number two, we need to find a way to be available and realize that we have an obligation as board members to, to ensure the long-term sustainability of, of our organization. That's our primary mandate. That's like the prime directive for us and right now, we're actually talking about the sustainability of the organization. It's never probably felt like that in my entire tenure as a board member, and now it does. So I need to actually step up and be available. I need to participate in those big decisions and be fully informed and know what I'm signing off on. And finally, I need to get out my checkbook because a lot of these, a lot of these decisions are big and a lot of these decisions are costly, both on the expense and the revenue side. How is this impacted for profit and not for profit organizations differently? And how should their responses differ? I think really across a wide margin. So, you know, we're talking about automation and robotics today. A lot of that sector is done extremely well. And a lot of that sector is gonna is gonna park something too that says robotics are awesome. Automation is awesome. Factory automation, industrial automation is awesome because it actually helps us produce the things we need to we need to produce without people being face to face. And so I think they need, we need to park that one for the future as well too, and come back to that. But I think I, you know, I see this range in companies, which is companies are either all hands on deck because they've pivoted or because this was their business in the first place. And they're really doing extremely well. Organizations who have seen their revenues absolutely destroyed 
and they're trying to do everything they can to plan through these scenarios and either make some pivots or weather the storm. Much easier conversation for much bigger, more stable organization companies, much harder conversation for much smaller companies. And, and this is where those, these companies need to go to their rainy day funds, but this is where these companies need to make really serious pivots. On the not-for-profit side, we've also seen a bit of a continuum, uh, but almost everybody's getting pounded on the revenue side there. You know, the, the big not-for-profits, the charities, the associations that I've worked with over the last 18 years, uh, especially over the last five, have done a tremendous job in diversifying their revenues. So if I think back even 10 years ago, I can think about so many of my associations where 70 or 60% of their revenue came from one thing, membership or their conference. They've really dramatically changed that over the years and they've diversified their revenue. They've really protected the long-term sustainability of their organizations, but not for this. And so although they've, although they've diversified their revenue, which is absolutely brilliant, almost all their revenue, even if they now have you know, an awards program, membership dues, conference, professional development, on and on and on, even if they've got 10 good revenue lines uh, in terms of diversification, they almost all, all rely on face-to-face. -face. They almost all rely on getting people in a room together to actually earn that revenue for the, for the association. That's generally how they show value. Some associations, quite a few over the last only three years, I would say, and Jim, you've, you've been part of some of these associations, have started to do a pretty good job of webcasting all their training, of recording and webcasting every single every single event at their conference, every single workshop at their conference, those associations have flexed pretty easily through this, to be honest, and they've done fairly well. And so, I, you know, I can think of an association client that I'm doing an online training session for next week. Well, guess what? On business continuity planning, um, they they were at the point where although all of their professional development was face to face they were at the point where half of their revenue came from the webcast version of that. And so they're not dying right now. They're not hurting right now, but their conference is, is, is canceled till next year, which is, you know, a major source of their income. So, you know, they're, they're, they're doing the best they can and they're responding. And then of course, charities are in this horrible situation because not only do they count on a lot of face-to-face -face things happening like events to raise their revenue, they count on people to, have security in their own lives and be thinking, you know, past their basic needs of their own income, their own job, their own future, to be thinking about how to help this charity. And so charities in particular, Jim, are, are very badly hurt, both on the revenue side and the research side. And I guess, you know, the, maybe the other interesting thing that's come out of this for me is uh, over the past, especially three years in Canada and the U.S., the IRS and the CRA have pushed very hard on associations in particular and charities to reduce the level of their, their reserves. These are called operating reserves and general rule of thumb is you should have about one year's worth of expenses or income in reserves thereabouts. And that ranges from half a year to, to two or three years. But generally they've been pushed to reduce those reserves because, uh, a lot of the tax departments are saying, you know, what's that money for and why do you need these, these, this big investment income? That's not the business you're in. And I would say that fortunately, most of my association clients uh, have somewhere around that range around a year's operating reserves. I can tell you it doesn't feel like enough now. I, yeah. I, I, can, I can tell you that 
you know, three months ago, they all felt stable and sustainable and secure. And now they're saying, man, that X million dollars we have in the bank might not be enough. That might not be enough to see us through. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see those things change. And I think change, they will. Everything's going to change. For those of us that are fortunate enough to have lots of experience with remote working, uh, like you and I, we know that there's lots of challenges connecting effectively with their staff. What are some of the strategies company leaders can incorporate to maintain a cohesive team? Yeah, this one, and maybe people might not like my answer to this one, but you should now you should be doing what you should have been doing all along as a boss or a supervisor or as a leader. We all get so lazy and stop doing the regular one-on-ones. We all get so lazy and we let the, the team meetings fall by the wayside. We all get lazy and we focus on the day-to-day crisis, which doesn't seem so much like a crisis anymore. And rather than do the hard work of being a manager, doing the hard work of having constant ongoing discussions with our folks about their priorities, about their performance, about aligning their actions to the strategy that at the department or the company, um, we, we slip into kind of a routine where we let those things go. And my answer more than ever right now is this is the time that you need to be very disciplined in having regular, short, frequent one-on-ones with every single person who reports to you and with your boss. They need to be scheduled. They need to be agended. There needs to be a specific outcome for every one of those discussions. And I would say the same for team meetings as well, where we have real team meetings where it's not just a check-in, but we're actually trying to align our priorities, align our objectives, remove the miscommunication, remove the triangulation, do the hard work and have the hard discussions on an ongoing basis. This is what employees will respond to very well. The other thing as leaders that we need to be doing right now is we need to cut some people. We need to cut people some slack. I had a was on a board call yesterday. Switched everything online, but I was on a board call yesterday, and the executive director was saying to her board, "We've just told everybody it's okay. We, you know, we've said all those all those objectives, those personal objectives that you have, and you know, we've talked about, and this is the, these are the things you're trying to accomplish. It's okay if you don't accomplish them. So we're still driving. We still have an incredible mandate. We still want to move forward." but we're, we need to give people some breathing room and let them off the hook. The other thing we need to do is we need to put ourselves in their shoes and realize that we're all in different places and we're all in different positions. And that, you know, the difference between having two parents home, uh, both working from home today, or having one parent laid off, or having two people working who aren't laid off and aren't worried about their, their pension plan and don't have kids at home, is vast. And so we just need to, we just need to realize as, as bosses that people are in a different place. And, you know, I, I was talking to a woman a week before last and uh, on a project that I'm working on. And I said, where's this, when are we going to get this, this answer from so-and-so? And she said, Oh, we'll get it between five and eight o'clock tonight. And I said, okay, that's great. Why is that? She's, she said her and her husband, both have their jobs and they're both working from home and they got twin two-year-olds and there's no daycare, there's no school, there's no nothing. And so, you know, her and her husband have a, have a schedule worked out and she's going to get most of her hard thinking work and the kind of work on this project that we're doing done between five and eight o'clock at night. I'm like, okay, that's awesome. So we just have to be flexible with people 
and realize that they're trying very hard, but there's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of things going on. And some of those distractions, by the way, could be big distractions. They could have parents in nursing homes, they, whatever. It could be anything. And so we just we just have to appreciate that. Yeah, there's some good points there, Peter. I, I totally understand. This is very hard on everyone. Um, for customers who are generally not able to see the landscape ahead for their business, what guidance can you offer in the interim? Yeah, I would use I would use the concept of these scenarios we talked about, talked about mapping out these scenarios as the foundation. But I think number one, we need to be crystal clear about our assumptions. We need to we need to be unambiguous about our assumptions. We need to make sure that our assumptions are understood and agreed to across our team, whatever our team is the assumptions upon which we're basing this scenario or this strategy. And so this is not, this is also not the time. And the problem is in the past, we could be a little bit lazy in how we work with each other. We could use shorthand in our language. We could assume that everybody was on the same page and we could get by. We're not in that place right now. We're in the place right now where we have to be unambiguous, where we have to be crystal clear, where we have to look each other in the eye, even if it's over video and say, okay, so to do this September thing with this new product rollout, we're assuming A, B, C, D, and E is actually going to happen. And by the way, that's probably all going to change anyway. But are, are those the assumptions that we have right now? So I think that's number one, be crystal clear about what we're assuming. Number two, because that basically every 90 days or every 30 days now, we're assuming a different operating environment than we were 30 days ago. You know, normally when we do planning with organizations, we say, what's the future going to look like in one year, two years, three years? Those are our assumptions. And we, we base our strategy on that. We're now doing that probably every 30 days. So we have to be crystal clear that we actually know what we're basing our plans on. And then we need to build rolling planning where we're looking out on an ongoing rolling 90 or maybe slightly longer basis. And then for each of those scenarios in our rolling plan, we need to say, okay, so if the September semester thing happens this way, or if the fall event happens this way, or the product launch happens that way, what are the actions we need to take to satisfy our prime directives? And if our prime directives are revenue preservation, ongoing organizational sustainability, expense containment, whatever it is, customer satisfaction, what do we need to do? What are the actions that we're going to take if this scenario actually pans out? And I hate to say it, Jim, but you also have to say, what if this scenario starts to pan out and then it falls apart? Right. Well, what if we tell students to go back to the university example? What if we tell international students? Yep, we made an assumption. September semester is more or less on. You should fly here from China or India. And then things change. And we need to we need to plan for all those things. And so we just need this very disciplined approach. We need to take time away from our daily duties and make this our daily duties at the moment, because I can't think of anything more important that people should be working on. Thanks for that, Peter. Uh did you want to talk a little bit more about communications with employees and customers? Because that is, I'm seeing COVID-19 plans coming through my email box all the time and webinars and such. Is that, that typically is a very important thing or do you think we've covered it? No, I think, I wouldn't mind spending a minute because this is the part that I guess where, where I've learned the most over the last two months is about the breadth of how well or how poorly some of my clients have communicated. And actually some of my vendors and airlines and everybody else that we've been communicated to. I think number one, you need you need to be as unambiguous as you possibly can. So we can't send out these ambiguous messages that say we're in this together uh, without saying what that means. And so we, 
you know, maybe we've covered this part, but we do need to spell out what we're assuming for the future. And we also need to spell out that that's subject to change. And by the way, your customers, your students, your members are going to cut you some slack right now because they understand that everything's going to change. And so be unambiguous about the scenario that you foresee. Be unambiguous about the scenario you see after that. In your communication, I think you need to do everything you can uh, to give people a breather and and take some big piece of risk off their plate. As much as I don't love Air Canada sometimes, I think that they've actually done a pretty, you know, I know they're hurting. I know all the airlines are hurting. And Air Canada did something to me which was absolutely brilliant, which I think all companies and all organizations should think about how they do this. They went out to all their, you know, super elite members like me, and I assume they did the same with elite members, gold and silver and all those things. And they said, we know you're not going to be traveling next year or this year because nobody is. So everything you've got right now, you're going to have next year. So regardless of how this year works out, you get back to normal travel again. Uh, great. If it doesn't, you've got all your status for 2021. You're going to have for the whole year, just like that with a snap of the fingers. And if, by the way, things get back to normal, then you can give your status to your spouse if you want. So they basically, I don't think it really costs them anything. You know, they've got a lot bigger fish to fry than this right now, but they did this unequivocal, unambiguous message messaging to their best customers. And they said, you're covered, you're protected. You got enough going on in your lives. Here's one thing that you can take off your plate, your status, because that's important to some people. Your status is protected for, for 2021. And if things turn around, well, then there's, there's going to be an additional upside. So I think we need to think about for each of our communications, how can we be that clear? I can't believe I actually complimented Eric Canada, but how can we be that clear <laughs> And that unequivocal uh, to our own customers. How can we just come right out and say, we're going to take this big piece of risk off your plate. We need to think about how much that's going to really cost us in the long run and what the benefit will be to our having these very happy, very loyal uh, long-term customers. Yes, I saw uh, Van City, which is a credit union in Vancouver, British Columbia. They put their uh, credit card to 0%. Just like that. Just like that. So yeah, there's a cost to that, but you know, talk about taking risk off your plate. Peter, thanks for taking the time today to discuss these very important issues. Um, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, they can they can email me at peter.wright at theplanninggroup.ca. They can visit our website at theplanninggroup, theplanninggroup.ca, or they can even phone me at 519-740-2725. We're happy to take anybody's call. And uh, as busy as we are with business continuity execution right now, we're happy to help out any organization. Thanks again. And if you have an idea or an interesting company or technology you'd like to be a guest or nominate someone to be a guest on the Robot Nation podcast, please send me an email at robotnationpodcast at gmail.com. And thanks again to A3, the Association for Advancing Automation for their sponsorship. And we'll see you soon. <laughs>